This is Juliana McIntosh. And I'm Brad Sutton. And And this this is is The Art Art of of Drinking. Drinking. With Join Jules. And your favorite uncle. This is the best home bartending podcast. Where you learn how to make two drinks. A classic. And a twist. Plus a little backstory on the cocktail. So you have an interesting story to tell when you serve your guests. Your home crafted masterpiece. Hi, how are you? Uh, I'm good. How are you? Good. Last day for you for dry January, although I know we keep saying this in several past episodes. This episode's coming out in February, but you, maybe even March, I don't know, it's coming out. And you're within hours of having your first cocktail on over a month. I know. I did it. It was such a interesting, fulfilling challenge that I don't have to do again. (laughs) Until next January. Well, no, I've done it once. I'm not sure I'm going to do not it again. Not going back. No, it, no. Yeah. You know what? I always say I'll try anything once. Is that true for like heroin? Would you try heroin once? No, no? I think there's okay. a line. Right. There's, so, a yeah, line. there's a line. Okay. There's well, I just line. wanted to make sure. Not that I've got, I want to encourage you to do heroin or anybody really. I just, it's the first thing that comes to mind. I was like, oh, I'll try anything once. Like, oh, really? Heroin? Talk about dry January. Murder? Uh, all right. <laughs> okay. Speaking of, Try anything once. This cocktail I tried once and I've come back to it ever since. This is such a good cocktail. This actually is a cocktail I put on one of my best friend's wedding menu. It was, I had to do a his and hers. This was his. It was a hit. And it's a classic. It's delicious. And you got to be careful because it's one of those where you can have a few. And maybe you limit it to two, but you're not going to want to because it's so good. The old Cuban is just one of the most lively, elegant cocktails. It's got a bit of a tropical edge to it because essentially what you're doing is you've just leveled up a mojito. Well, Brad, everybody's going to be so excited to hear this. Everybody knows I love the French 75. Can't get enough of it. Can't get enough of it. This takes the French 75 and the mojito creates a baby that's the old Cuban. It's like Benjamin Buttons. <laughs> yeah, totally. Interestingly <laughs> enough, uh, I love mojitos. And when I started making cocktails at home, now the Harvey Wallbanger, hashtag Wallbanger, was the first cocktail I ever ordered. Right. The mojito was the first cocktail I ever made. And I love bubbles, any kind of effervescence in a cocktail, whether it's champagne or it's soda water. I love mint. I Brad, love we love rum. a spritz moment. It's in our blood. You know, we're yeah, it's in our blood. We, just, yeah. we do, yeah. Was that the Hungarians that were spritzing the Italian wines, right? Yeah, <laughs> like who knows? Maybe that's our answer. Well, for sure it was you, right? So, well, anyway, so I'm introducing people to this drink left and right, which is interesting because it is a classic Mm-hmm. drink. You'll be surprised at when it was invented, but it's a classic drink that is pervasive. Like this is world famous, but still at the same time, a lot of people haven't had it that I know. And I dish it out and people are like, oh my God, this is an amazing cocktail. So I'm excited to talk about this. We'll go into the history behind the drink and how it got popular. We'll talk about the inventor and how iconic this inventor is and the people that this inventor hung out with. And we will also get into what you're going to talk about tips. Yeah. So we need to get into why 
we're always so mean to the mint. Why are we always slapping it? <laughs> What's going on? Mean to the mint. So we're having a mint tip. You know what? Don't take for granted. Please listen to the end because it will totally upgrade your cocktail making experience for you and your guests. So don't underestimate the mint and make sure to stay tuned towards the end because we hit some good notes that will help. Yep, I'm excited. This is going to be one of those drinks that you're going to be glad that you know how to make because it's going to knock your socks off. I'm excited to tell you about it. And I'm riffing on it. Yeah, you got your riff. We'll get into that too. But I'm thirsty, man. Like I need one right now. So let's get into it. Brad, what time is it? It's happy hour time. For me, it's happy hour time. I know. I'm not making mine this week. I apologize. But the good news is my cocktail is a riff off yours. So I'm excited to talk to this one. And then next week, of course, I'll be back in action. But Brad, we're going to watch you make it. And I think it's so important to watch how to make it the right way because this is really... One of my favorites, Brad, take it away. Yeah, the inventor of the old Cuban actually said it's a mojito with a little black dress on. Or in my case, Ooh. a little tuxedo. Love that. I fell in love, love, love with this drink. I was sampling them even last night. And Amy, my wife, she's not that much of a rum drinker. And she was like, oh my God, this is delicious. It's good. So yeah. Folks, hang on. For the benefit of our listeners, I'm going to make this in a way that won't be too painful for you because you can't see it, but you can come to our YouTube to check out how the drink is made and see it made. I'm going to walk you through what I'm doing. So what I got in front of me here is I've got champagne, but I didn't go out and just get a really nice bottle of champagne. I actually got a Cremant, which is made in the method of champagne. So it's still from France. It's made like champagne. It's just not from the champagne region. So that is going to be two ounces at the end. But what we're going to put in our shaker here is I'm going to start with actually six mint leaves, which I've got here. And I pre-picked them and I'm just going to clap them. Most recipes would tell you to muddle them. I don't like muddling too much because what you're wanting is the aroma out of the mint, not the bitterness that comes when you are too hard on the mint. So I'm going to clap it. Now you can hear me. I'm rolling it around in my hands. I got a little ball of mint in there. And now I'm going to drop that into my shaker. Okay. I'm going to move my cremant out of the way. And then I've got an ounce and a half of rum. And what I've used is Havana Club rum. So I'm going to put that in. And Brad, is that just like a dark rum? Is that a funky Jamaican rum? Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked. In this case, I've got some contraband here. This is actually from Cuba. Not something you can get easily, but I do have some. I'm pre-embargo, of course. This is a seven-year aged rum, and they say that you can use a blended rum that's five to seven years. You want that good rummy flavor. And so this is a mojito that just kind of grew up, right? Or has a little black dress on or a tuxedo. So ounce and a half of... I've got my Havana Club rum in there, and that's a dark rum because it's been aged. Now, next, I'm going to take three-quarter ounces of a freshly squeezed lime juice, and that goes in there. Now, what they want you to do is they want you to muddle at this point. I don't think I need to do that because I've already clapped and rolled around the mint. What I'm going to do is I'm going to keep going with my ingredients, okay. and I'm going to stir the drink or swirl it so all the flavors incorporate before I shake it. Okay. okay. So 
My simple syrup's going in now. It's my simple syrup. That's now in there. And that was one ounce of simple syrup. And that's just a mm -hmm. one-to-one ratio. Mm -hmm. So now I've got my, all the ingredients that I'm not going to shake with champagne, of course, because that would be making a bomb and those are illegal and not to mention messy. So I'm going to put my shaker together and I'm not going to shake the hell out of this because again, I don't want to beat the crap out of the mint, but I want to get the drink cold. So I'm just going to kind of lightly shake it back and forth until it gets too cold to hold, maybe 20 seconds or less. I know sometimes we play the music in between, but you really don't need to shake it for that long. So I've got that good and kind of shaken up and I can feel it's really cold in my hand right now. So now I'm going to bust my shaker apart. I'm loving that glass, Brad. Yeah, this glass is pretty cool. Again, another gift from my wonderful wife. Oh, uh, she now she's knows got I'm good glassware. Taste. I know. It's a beautiful <laughs> little coupe glass. So now I've got that pulled together and I'm going to drop a little two ounces of my champagne, or in this case, cromant. And then I'm garnished. I've got a little lime wheel with a little mint sprig sticking out of her. And, Cute. and that's my garnish. And that just kind of hangs oh, on the side of the glass. God. And let me tell you, I know what's coming right now. Look. Mm -hmm. Oh God, yes. It's so yep. good. Yeah. It's that's so just good. such a great drink. Yeah. Such a great drink. I definitely love this cocktail as we're nearing summer. It's just you know so good forgot, on a hot Jules. day. You forgot the bitters. Two dashes of Angostura bitters. I was like, something's not right here. And do you put it so, on top? No, I'll put it in the shaker, but same diff, right? It's just getting same mixed thing. in with my finger now. Yeah. <laughs> so don't forget the Angostura bitters. I'm like, huh, this tasted really awesome the day before. What's missing? Angostura bitters. Now, let's see. Now I'm cooking with gas. Yep. So there you go. The old Cuban. All my points that I say for every cocktail is I like to explain why I love this one so much because I love them all very much. But yes. this one I think is just a really fun one if you want to do something different outside of the French 75 or maybe you're just a rum lover. And the good news is, is mine follows suit from the old Cuban. So I'm calling this, I'm sure there's cocktails out there and I'm not reinventing the wheel with this name. I'm going to call it the new Cuban. And it's just you know, a little play on words. It's just kind of like what Brad made, except for the Join Jules twist. So what we're going to do is almost exactly like Brad did. We're going to grab our cocktail shaker and we are going to add in one ounce of rum. I like to use the Jamaican, the Appleton Estate. I just love that flavor. So I did one ounce of that. Brad... A half ounce of mezcal because oh, if we can, we will. Didn't um, see that I, coming. <laughs> I know, I know. So predictable. But one of my favorite split bases is rum and mezcal. I think that they work so well together because you have such an earthy, smoky flavor with the mezcal mixed with that sweet funk. I just think it's a magic combo. So I couldn't miss the opportunity here. So like Brad, who had an ounce and a half, with mine, you're also going to have one and a half ounce of spirit, but just split base. So one ounce rum, half ounce mezcal. From there, we're doing three quarters of an ounce of fresh lime juice, of course, then here's where you can get fun. You're doing a half ounce of syrup. One-to-one -one syrup. What I really like using with this, with the mezcal, the mezcal has really nice earthiness, plays with the funk. So does 
hibiscus. So I made a beautiful hibiscus syrup and I added that in. And it's one of the reasons why I like this cocktail. I like the French 75, because if you didn't want to change the spirit at all, but you wanted to elevate it or make it a little bit different, the one way you can do that is always with the syrup. So have fun with the syrup. If you think another flavor combination will work here, I was trying to play with lemongrass. I just hadn't got to tasting it yet. That was something I was thinking about. But regardless, half ounce of syrup. We're doing three to four mint leaves like Brad. I love your technique. We're going to talk about that in the tip section. I don't think you need to muddle mint. I think people over muddle mint. And I think you know, you're know you better served doing the slap roll and throw it in there. So that's what we're going to do. You can add in Angostura. I actually added in half and half. So a dash of Ango and a dash of orange, which I think brightens it up. We're going to shake, lightly shake. Brad, I like that tip too. Again, we have mint in there, so we want to be gentle. And then double strain that into your chilled coupe glass. And you're going to top that off. See, I had dry sparkling wine, not necessarily champagne. I'm interested to hear in the history if it's meant to have champagne because I've only always really done it with sparkling wine. So Maybe we'll go to that. But approximately one, one and a half to two ounces just to top it. And of course, you can garnish with fresh mint, dehydrated citrus. You can do a mint lime wheel like Brad did, but really taking the roots of the old Cuban and just slightly riffing off of it. So nothing crazy, but it's good and it's fun. And that mezcal just is so nice to see again. So, <laughs> uh, Hello, old friend. I will speak to the champagne now because I... I'm not really going to talk about it in the history. However, champagne is one of those things that like, okay, you call it champagne because it comes from champagne, right? You call tequila because it comes from a specific region or regions in Mexico. Can you make tequila in the United States that tastes like tequila from Mexico? Yes, you can. You just can't call it tequila, right? So sparkling wine, as long as it's made Method Champenois or Cremant, which is Method Champenois from France, I think you're good to go. It's just when you start crossing over like, oh, well, sparkling wine, Prosecco, Cava, Champagne, it's all the same thing and it's not. Right. And I think what's important with the old Cuban, you have a one whole ounce of simple syrup in here. So you don't want to really bring in sweetness as you would with a Prosecco, which is why you opt for a drier bubble option. So whatever that is to you, it's your journey, but that's why you did the champagne. And that's why I always say, just pick a dry one, whatever that is to you, that's your journey. Yeah. My champagnes that I like are toasty, biscuity, like yeasty Mm -hmm. champagnes. Some others might like a really lemony and citrusy forward. This one you can definitely, it's like dealer's choice. If toasty and biscuits, what speaks to you, then yeah, I mean, put something in like that, like a Tattinger, although that's a lot of money to spend on champagne for this, but that's one of my faves. But I just don't like two lemon forward champagnes. It just doesn't jive with me. But in this case, you might not have that sensitivity that I have to certain things like that. So you know what, make it how you like it. Make it how you like it. Well, I'm interested, Brad, to hear, I don't think I've ever heard the history behind the old Cuban. Why is he old? How old is he? So I want to find out. Let's get into that. All right. The old Cuban coming from Mr. Cuban. Mr. Cuban. Yeah, it's not that old, actually. 
So what we'll do here, Jules, is I'm going to walk you through the birth of the drink, kind of where it took place and when and who did it. And then I want to get into Audrey Saunders, who is the inventor of the old Cuban, because she is one fascinating icon here in the world of cocktails. And a woman, it sounds like, right? And a woman. Yep. And if you haven't heard of her, that's understandable because unless you're like a super nerd with cocktails and like swimming around the industry and whatnot, you just wouldn't know these names like Dick Bradsall and Audrey Saunders and, you know, Dale DeGroff and Julie Reiner. All right. Well, here we go. So the drink was created in 2001. Oh, wow. Yeah. 2001. Not that long ago, although kind of long ago, right? Some people that might be listening to this are like, well, it was before I was born. <laughs> right? So... <laughs> Welcome to this stage of your life, by the way. No, no. I'm like, oh, that's like 10 years ago. No. I mean, to me, when you say 20 years ago, I still think 1980. Just FYI. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So even though I was like, not even like 10 yet, I was like single digits. 2001. Yeah. Yeah. This was invented in 2001 at just the beginning of the cocktail revolution here in the United States. We know Dick Bradsell had a thing going, bringing sexy back in the UK, but we just started to bring the cocktail revolution about in 2001. It started a few years prior. So Audrey Saunders, she invented it at Tonic, which unfortunately no longer exists, but that was in New York. And many stories will tell you that it was either Bemelman's bar that she worked at when she invented this, which is located inside the Carlisle Hotel, is still there. And that's on the Upper East Side for sure. Or they'll say that it was invented at Beacon, which is wrong, was not invented there. It was at Tonic. But Bemelman's was what put this drink on the map. Let me explain. So how did this become a thing? So while at Bemelman's, which by the way, this was like a sleepy high-end hotel, but the bar wasn't anything really to note, right? It was cool 1940s vibe by the way. So kind of a cool vibe, but not really appealing to anybody in the area. They had regulars and stuff, but it just wasn't really that big of a deal. So she was hired to run the bar and also create a new drink menu. And she did that. And she read the room at Bemelman's and was like, okay, I can see a lot of champagne cocktails going out the door here. I'm definitely putting the old Cuban on the menu. And she did. And it just like boom, took off. Like people were like nuts for this old Cuban drink. And because Bellman's had a relationship with the Ritz in London, she eventually found herself in 2002 doing a Bellman's pop-up in London at the Ritz where she brought that drink with her and it took off there too. Like this cocktail went over like a bag of money being thrown up into the air. Like people were just nuts. Yeah. I mean, champagne cocktails rock. Champagne cocktails do rock. I love a champagne cocktail. Like I always say like, oh my God, this is one of my favorite cocktails. This is my favorite cocktail. I know. It's really hard to put your finger on it, but you get like a good champagne cocktail on your hand. Mm -hmm. Give me a break. Like it's just delicious. But I'm so surprised because the French 75, I think it was made back in what, like 1915 or something like that. Good. Job jewels. Yes. I am so proud right now. I am so proud. Yeah. So, I mean, it's crazy that it took this long to make this because it's very similar in a way. This is similar-esque because you're adding champagne to spirit 
and simple syrup and citrus. We're introducing bitters, which is not in a French 75, but you've got French 75 is gin, lemon, simple syrup, and champagne. So it's very framework-wise, very much like that. But if you think about it, you take the champagne out and go from dark rum to light rum, you've got a mojito. Right. Yeah. 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 So same concept, right? Just she just like, all right, I'm gonna add champagne to this. And my God, it was like magic and it worked out really great. That's awesome. So this takes off and the Financial Times gets a hold of it over in London. The Independent and many other publications are raving about this cocktail. And while she's there, she's not only getting noticed by the media, but other icons in the industry like Dick Bradsell. And other legends in the UK bartending scene, and by the way, European bartending scene, are like, hey, this gal is cool. This is a great drink. She's rubbing elbows with the elite, and they are now taking this drink, and they're putting it in all their bars. And so this is in Paris, this is in London, this is in Amsterdam. It's kind of all over, and it just becomes cool. Like, How does this not take off and become a classic at this point when you've got New York doing it, you've got Europe doing it, you've got UK doing it, everybody is loving this cocktail. Mm-hmm. So what was so great about this cocktail and why it took off is that I said earlier, this is the beginning of the cocktail revolution here in the United States. And the cocktail right. revolution was already happening overseas. So this was like a classic cocktail that was rediscovered because everybody's got their noses in history books and they're pulling out like all of these lost cocktails from pre-prohibition and mm-hmm. the prohibitionary, the golden age of cocktails. Yeah. And it just feels like a cocktail that like nobody, oh my God, where was this? This was in like a secret room somewhere at this like awesome bar that nobody knew the recipe for it. And we found it when actuality, it was just kind of a classic cocktail of mojito that she turned into a new classic, a neoclassic by adding champagne. And mm-hmm. boom, you've got this elegant, massively awesome drink. So it just goes to show you. And you know, for those of you who have been maybe making drinks along with us, even as I'm going through the process of making all these drinks that we've been making... You start to identify like, oh, there's just frameworks that exist. And so you've done it. I've done it. I know everybody on this and who's listening, who's ever made cocktails or tried to invent a cocktail, you've done it too. You can't just take stuff and throw it together and think it's going to work, right? right? You need some rhyme or reason behind what you're doing. And eventually you make enough cocktails and you explore and dig into enough of these cocktails, you start to identify frameworks. And those frameworks are literally the foundation that you just tweak a dial here and there, add something here, sub something else out there. It becomes a different cocktail. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh my God, those tastes are really great together. I invented a really awesome old-fashioned that I call East Meets West. And so we actually talked about that. So anyways, you with me so far? Yeah. All right. I talked a lot about how this thing got so cool. Yeah, I like it. All right. So let me tell you about who Andre Saunders is because it's actually kind of a cool story. I really, really identify with where she came from. So she started out with a love for cooking. She wasn't a bartender. She was just somebody who really enjoyed cooking and wanted to maybe get into the culinary arts and studied the six levels of French cooking technique and became really proficient in that. But she always had a fascination with cocktails. And she found herself, whenever she would go to dinner parties, like she was the one behind the bar trying to put things together, mixing drinks, experimenting, because like you, like me, like this is just where she was drawn. This is what I'm drawn to. This is what you're drawn to. Yeah, I was going to say, sounds familiar. Yeah. So she has a friend who owns a couple of bars or restaurants in New York. And she's like, hey, can I 
pull some shifts behind the bar and kind of learn how to be a bartender. And he's like, sure. So he lets her pull some shifts and she is working in these bars and the manager who is working with her is like, you don't want to do this. You don't want to be a bartender. You're a girl. This is a male dominated industry. You got to lift heavy stuff. Benefits suck. It's bad hours. Like there's just all these reasons you don't want to do this. If you would have said you're a girl, you don't want to do this. Like today, people have been like, dude, put that guy <laughs> up on, yeah, yeah. Up on a billboard I know. I'm somewhere. like, did you not see the Barbie movie? <laughs> yeah. 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 So uh, yeah, she's yeah, like, yeah. no. I mean, she resists this guy's encouragement to get out while she still can. So he grabs a copy of the New York magazine and points to a one-page profile on Dale DeGroff. And Mm -hmm. Dale DeGroff is teaching a one-night seminar at NYU. Mm -hmm. And he said, if you're serious, go take this seminar. Now, Dale DeGroff, for those of you who don't know, Jules, I know you know who he is. He is a legend Legend. in the cocktail scene here (laughs) in the United States. He is the father of the cocktail renaissance for America. He is sensei. He is Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) 100%. Like everything I've ever learned about Dale or all the videos I've seen of him, I just want to hang out with him so bad. I know. You want to give him a hug. You know, know. like he just seems so great. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Oh, Dale, I love you, man. All right. So anyway, so she goes to the seminar and she is fascinated because Dale DeGroff takes this culinary approach to making cocktails. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the seminar, she walks up to him. She said, I want to be a bartender. I want to be the best. I want to learn from you. Here's my card. I will work for free. Problem is, is that Dale DeGroff is working at the Rainbow Room where he served Madonna, Cosmopolitan Martini. He says, well, you know, it's going to be tough because you're green and <laughs> you don't have any experience and the Rainbow Room is a, is a union bar, meaning like all the bartenders are unionized. And so you just can't slip somebody in, right? Who's not working for the union or working for free. And especially you can't slip somebody in an iconic bar like that who doesn't know what they're doing. So she gives him the card. And the backstory here is that the Rainbow Room did a lot of charity events. And so about a month later, Dale DeGroff calls her up and says, honey, come with me. We're going to go make cocktails for the governor because the governor was doing a charity event. And so she suspects that, well, maybe he was asked me to come along to test me out. Maybe he needed the free labor, whatever. She goes along and she helps him out at this charity event and must have passed the test because he continues to use her for years. And then eventually the Rainbow Room opens up another bar called the Blackbird and he offers her a job at the Blackbird. Now, this is 1996 that she's doing these charity events. Three years later, in 1999, the Blackbird opens up. Dale DeGroff says, you should come work at the Blackbird with me. So now he's mentoring her at the Blackbird. And she is saying like, God, every day is like Christmas with this guy because he's teaching me all of these techniques. He's teaching me how flavors come together, how to approach cocktails. He's teaching me about spirits. And Dale DeGroff, also somebody who's got his nose in the history books of cocktails, has all of these copies of cocktail books from the past, which aren't even in print anymore, like Jerry Thomas's Mm -hmm. guide. And he hands her these books and she just dives in and just voraciously consumes all of these drinks in the histories. And probably the same thing happened to her 
that happens to many people who start to really dig in. It's like, oh, here are the frameworks. Like you just start to identify like this is a sour, this is smart. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So she does great at the Blackbird, but the Blackbird closed. But they opened up a sister restaurant called Beacon. Now Beacon, again, is where people thought she invented the old Cuban. It's not. Do your homework. Read the interviews. That's not where the cocktail began. But what happened for her is this is now where she began because she got hired and she began to try her hand at making and creating her own drinks and trying out the different aspects of bar management. Again, did not invent the cocktail there. So she was there for about a year and then went over to the tonic where she became the beverage director and got to write her own menu now And she had been working on the old Cuban and now she put the old Cuban on the menu at Tonic, wasn't on the menu at Beacon. And along with the Gin Gin Mule and the Jamaican Firefly, which are a couple other drinks that you may have heard of. So 9-11 happens and things turned really, really bad in New York, obviously at Mm 9-11. She was laid off along with many, many other people in the service industry. And interestingly enough, she was actually offered a job at Windows on the World, which is in the World Trade Center, one of the Twin Towers, as a sommelier. At the same time, she was offered this job at Tonic to run the bar and write the menu. And she took the job at Tonic because she's like, I mean, the cocktail's not necessarily like the wine's not my thing. I'm more into a cocktail thing. So could have been her that was in there and very likely would have been her because many of her friends perished in the 9-11 oh, attacks. So geez. all these people get laid off in New York in the service industry. She took some time for herself, obviously, to kind of decompress. And then after a few months, she finds Dale DeGroff at Bemelman's. And you know we're back to where this cocktail really took off, right? So he was there on a 32-month consultancy running the bar and kind of trying to bring it back to life. So he hired Audrey to run the bar and develop a new cocktail menu. And that's exactly where she did. And this is where history took off. And this is the really the leaping point from her being a bartender who was mentored by Dale DeGroff to her being a bar legend. Yeah. All because she was going to work for Dale DeGroff for free. Now, I'm going to tell you a couple more interesting things about Audrey before we, uh, before we wrap it up. Okay, because she's not just a one drink or two or three drink uh, pony here. So during her time at Bemelins, she meets Julie Reiner. And Julie Reiner, yeah, legend. So if anybody's ever watched Drink Masters, like Julie Reiner is a judge. Julie Reiner's from San Francisco. Like she's a legend in the bar industry. So she meets Julie Reiner, you know, before Julie Reiner was Julie Reiner. And they become friends. And they were both presented an opportunity to open up the Pegu Club, which it looks like Peju, P-E-G-U, but it's Pegu. I guess it looks like Pegu if you're better at spelling than I am. So they go open this place up and the old Cuban, which by the way, has already become world-renowned at this Mm -hmm. point, Mm -hmm. multinational reputation, sat along at the menu at the Pegu, along other champagne cocktails, which they called Champagne Opportunities, And another drink they had in there, I think you'll dig this one, called the Jimmy Roosevelt. That was cognac, chartreuse, and bubbles. Shut up. Yeah. Yep. Oh, my I know. And of course, the Gin Gin Mule and the Jamaican Firefly were there too, right? Yeah. But the Old Cuban was the best seller at the Pegu up until 2020 when it closed, unfortunately due to COVID, and it just never reopened. So that's... yeah. 
It's really too bad. So here's some other things that we can thank Audrey for. Gin was not in fashion back then, right? Like you'd go to a bar and you'd see a huge library of vodka, maybe a couple bottles of gin. But she's like, I think gin's got a chance here. Give gin a chance. Right? Look at this. She's a culinary person. She's got broad horizons on flavors and tastes. And so she's full on like, you know what? I'm going to totally introduce gin, but like talk to Dale. And Dale's like, you do it, man. You run this like nobody's looking. Right. And you bring those gin cocktails forward. So she was one of the first gin bars, probably started the gin, I'm going to air quote craze here in Mm -hmm. America. Also rye whiskey, which was like, not something people drank back then. She's like, why? There's all these great rye whiskeys out there. They called up, I think it was Heaven Hill. No, it was Rittenhouse. They called up, I think Rittenhouse is actually made by Heaven Hill. Either way, they call them up and they're like, hey, we need your rye. Like, bring it out here. Like, send us a pallet. We'll get rid of it. And so they did. So she brings rye cocktails back because she's like, you get a good rye in a Manhattan and they're delicious. So she knew flavor is what I'm hearing. She knew flavor. Yeah. Which brings me to Luxardo cherries. Oh. Luxardo cherries weren't a thing. And then she's like at some deli, sees some Luxardo cherries, buys like a, there are all the jars that are there. Mm-hmm. And then says, you know what? These need to go in drinks like a Manhattan. And people were like, oh my God, what is that cherry you are putting in Iconic. those drinks? That's amazing. Yeah. Luxardo cherries. So Luxardo cherries get in the water supply of the cocktail revolution. And the final fun fact I'll tell you, and then there are many, many more fun facts about her. Mm -hmm. Audrey was the number one seller of chartreuse. She brought chartreuse into the mix back from the dead of the 1970s. I think it was swamp water was the drink that kind of killed chartreuse. Yeah. She brought it back from the dead, reintroduces chartreuse to us here in the United States because all of this stuff that she's bringing up, she's like... Why is it we are the birthplace of the cocktail and we are behind our counterparts now over in Europe? Like, this is crazy. We invented this stuff. Prohibition set us back. Obviously, we had the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s, and the 70s. And then things just kind of got weird for a while. And then she's like, all these people are over in Europe are making these great cocktails. We need to do that here. Let's go explore with flavors and let's put things together and make things look beautiful, Dale DeGroff. Thank you. And... Boom. She is now a part of the fabric of our, every great cocktail that you have when you go to a cocktail bar, you can tip your hat. Julie Reiner, you can tip your hat to Audrey Saunders, you can tip your hat to Dale DeGroff and many, many others, but they're the OGs. Damn. So we kind of have her to blame then for the chartreuse craze, therefore the chartreuse shortage. Yeah. Or maybe it was the last word that- uh, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Our boy in Stockton, his name escapes me right now. He took over then, like he was the number one chartreuse guy, right? So yeah, yeah, um, no, but that's so cool. And a woman in the industry, you don't see that all the time. And I had no idea that the old Cuban was made semi recently. Semi recently, I think you could call it recently. Like I hear stuff that was invented in the seventies. I'm like, yeah, I guess. Well, I guess it is a classic. It's a long time ago. So (laughs) (laughs) well, cool, Brad. All right, should we get to the tips? I want to hear tips. So I wanted to name this tip section, why are we mean to mint? (laughs) Why are we slapping it? Why are we being so mean? 
So I thought it was time. Get a little sassy. You get a little slappy. That's what I say. Get a little slappy. We've touched (laughs) on mint, I feel like, multiple times, but I don't think we've had a dedicated tip section to mint. And I don't know about you, but spring is coming. I know my mint is starting to, you know, a little more than usual. So we're getting to mint season, quote unquote. And there are ways to use mint correctly, especially in cocktails. And so I wanted to kind of give you an overall breakdown of what we're doing to mint and why are we slapping it. So first and foremost, when you buy mint or you grow mint, there's a couple of ways to kind of prep your mint before you use it in cocktails. One of the things I like to do when I get my mint is I like to grab it in a bunch and actually cut down the green stem at diagonal. Uh, the reason why you do that is because what you're going to do is you're going to fill a mason jar or fill a container with water and you're going to put that in there and you cut it so the mint can absorb the water so it stays fresh, stays perky. And then right before, I do this right before I prep my drink out, is you get a little ice bath and you put the mint in there. That way, again, it's ready to go when you want to use it. It's perky. I don't know if you've ever put mint out on the table for longer than 10 minutes. It just starts to get so sad and wilty. So, uh, so sad. So those are two really great ways. It's either cold. I know. Either leave it in that jar you have with water or right before you use it, maybe it did go a little wilty, put it in an ice bath and you should be good to go. Now, there are ways that we use mint. We can muddle mint, but one of the I think best ways to use mint is to slap it. And what you do is you put it in your hand and you do, you slap the mint. Brad, you also said you can roll the mint. And essentially what you're doing is you're releasing the oils and the smell, the aroma to enhance the overall cocktail experience. So when you release that aroma, you release that oil, that's going to seep into the cocktail, whether you're shaking it or even if you're garnishing in it. So Brad, you talked about earlier in the episode, muddling or aggressively shaking. If you do that, you might see that the mint has actually turned to a dark color and that's bruising your mint, which you really do want to avoid mainly because it creates a bitter flavor with the mint and it changes the whole complexity of the cocktail. And in my personal opinion, I don't like the flavor. It's too bitter. doesn't work. So try to avoid that if you can. And the best way to do it, smack it, throw it in, gentle shake, like Brad explained earlier. And you can circle back if you need to hear that again. Last thing I'm going to say is do not be scared to use your mint to the fullest in garnishing. And one of the ways I like to do that is I like to get it into like a little bouquet and I twist the stems together and I'll plop that in the ice. But before I do that, I will actually take that bouquet. I'll smack it in my hand a little bit. I'll take that bouquet around the rim, around the stem, and then you put it in your ice. And the best, best, best tip is if you're doing a cocktail that has mint, that has a straw, Always place that mint by the straw because you're going to smell it while you're sipping, which is just a double. You got taste and smell. It's just going to enhance your experience. But uh, don't sleep on the mint. It's important. Don't sleep on the mint. That's great tips. I agree with all of that. Gotta love mint. And I just got really excited for spring. I know. Maybe in a couple (laughs) of weeks, I'll give tips on how to grow it. I've been looking for ways to better grow mint forever. And I know people have tried to help. 
but it's important and it is so delicious in cocktails. So don't be scared of it and make sure you're using it right. Well, there you have it. Cheers, Uncle Brad. Cheers, Jules. And thank you everyone for listening to the show. Don't worry, we will have the photos and recipes for today's cocktails on the website, joinjewels.com. And if you got questions or comments for us, hit us up on the Insta at The Art of Drinking Podcast. And of course, find Jules at Join Jewels or at Favorite Uncle Brad. That's me, also on the Insta. And hey, subscribe to my cocktail club on Facebook. All you'll need to do is search Join Jewels Cocktail Club, and there you'll see what other cocktail enthusiasts are shaking up. This is a Red Rock Music Podcast. Don't forget, subscribe, like, and review The Art of Drinking with Join Jewels and your favorite uncle wherever you get your podcasts.